This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. We know this passage from Romans 1 very well, and it is timeless for the Christian. Regardless of where we live or the century into which we're born, the gospel of Jesus Christ remains the only hope for sinners, and that's why we should never be ashamed of it. But how much are we really sharing the gospel. One recent Barna study showed that almost half of practicing Christian millennials in the U.S. actually believe evangelism is wrong. And that is why I am really grateful for our next guest, Global Conference speaker, evangelist, and author Becky Pippert. She is founder of Becky Pippert Ministries and author of the highly acclaimed and great book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. And 40 years after that great book came out, she is out with its sequel. It is called Stay Salt. The world has changed our message must not. And Becky, it's just wonderful to have you with us. How are you? Oh, I am great. Janet, it's just such an honor to be meet you and to be able to talk to you. I'm just thrilled. Oh, man, no, the honor is mine. I'm just, I was so <laughs> excited that I was going to get to interview you because I have really admired you for a long time and oh, heard you speak. You. So, And I am one of those many, many Christians who loved Out of the Salt Shaker. I remember this line from that book, and it's the, probably the most famous line from the book, if I'm remembering correctly, but Christians <laughs> and non-Christians have something in common. We're all uptight about evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first line of the book. Yep. Good memory. Yes, yes, I remember that. Would you say that's equally true today or more more so today? How would you evaluate that line now? Oh, I I think it is. It no, I would say it's it's, it's more true today because our our one of the reasons why I wrote my new book Stay Salt is because um the world has changed. It has gotten much more challenging. Uh, in our in our culture, and I think Christians are more afraid than ever. Yeah. And so I wanted to do actually not a sequel, but to say, how do we communicate the gospel for such a time as this? Never dreaming when I did it, you know that you know it comes out. I guess uh, May first, but when you think about it, you know, um, stay salt. The world has changed. Our message must not that that would come right at the same time that COVID-19 came. Oh, you yeah. know? I mean, oh, my gosh, yeah. I, I just couldn't believe it. So I think I do think it. Uh, the world has changed. And I think it's changed in since I wrote Out of the Salt Shaker. And that was 40 years ago. Wow. But when you think about it, Janet, what if we witnessed all of us who live in the West? have been living in a culture that's dominated by the lethal distortions of post-modernity <laughs> in a way that wasn't true when I wrote Salt Shaker. The collapse of absolute truth, right. the shift 
from objective authority to personal preference. The designer religion approach that picks cafeteria style, whatever people want to believe, and it doesn't, you know, a little karma here, a little that there, (laughs) and it doesn't matter if their beliefs collide and are contradictory, because there isn't truth anyway. The sexual revolution, uh, our intimidation, because the media and cultural elites are so hostile to true Christianity, that's a lot of change. It is. In, in a short, well, not so short, but, but historically speaking, it's still sort a short period of time. And I had a Christian say to me not too long ago, well, why should I even, it was a millennial, why should I even try to share my faith in these hard times? And I said, well... One good reason is because Jesus commands us to. (laughs) Right. But I said, the command, go ye therefore and make disciples, Jesus didn't say, go ye therefore, all you extroverts, (laughs) all you scripture memory buffs, (laughs) okay, and all you evangelists and clergy, go and make disciples. Jesus did not say one thing about our gifting, um, what our temperament was, We are all called to be witnesses. But, Janet, I also think we have to realize that what we have to share is good news. It's the most wonderful news that has ever come to our planet, and secularism cannot, it does not have the answers, and it does not address our deepest human longings. I don't care how secularized. The West has become God has placed a longing for identity and meaning and purpose in all human hearts. And even though unbelievers might not be able to quite articulate what it is they feel is missing, oh, Janet, the longings are there. And that is why people are hungrier than we realize, and we must share the good news. Yes. Oh, man. Amen to everything that you've said. And it's interesting that you mentioned the timing of the release of your new book, Stay Salt, because we are in the midst of unprecedented weirdness, as we like to call it in our house. Yeah. We can't yeah. we can't leave the house. And uh, when is this going to end? And everybody's losing their jobs and we could all catch this virus that could kill us. And it's interesting because you see these statistics. I saw a research study just last week that showed 44 percent of Americans, not just Christians, but Americans in general, believe this pandemic is a wake-up call from God, and I thought yeah. this could be a great moment to really rev up evangelism. Oh, it is exactly right. I could not agree with you more. Do you know, the gift of catastrophic times, and boy, this is catastrophic. I mean, it, it, it has everybody's attention, but the gift of it is it's almost as if the fog is lifted, hmm. and we're able to see reality in a way that we couldn't before. And I think one of, again, I I do believe, even though it's very challenging, it is a gift because uh, what are people realizing? And I've done so many, I've been asked to do a lot of these Zoom conferences around the world because we've ministered around the world. And they're all saying that their non-Christian friends are frightened. They're asking questions. Um, they're wondering, um, you know, I, I guess what? I'm not in charge. And I have to tell you this. I got a phone call from an agnostic friend of mine. 
And I have never seen the slightest openness. And I've you know, witnessed many times and loved her and walked alongside and done what Jesus tells us to do and how he demonstrates asking questions and expressing compassion, but also sharing the truth and love. And she said to me, she said, Becky, I've always told you I'm in charge of my destiny. We are the only gods that exist. It's up to us to solve life's problems, not use a crutch. But she said, Becky, if the coronavirus proves anything, it's that we're not in control. (laughs) Uh, I am not self-sufficient. And then she said, this is so fascinating, for the first time, I'm seeing in my heart of hearts that I, not only am I not in control, but you know what? I never believed it anyway, (laughs) because if I'm God, what kind of God needs to take pills for their anxiety? (laughs) (laughs) She said, all I can tell you is if I'm God, I make a lousy God. Now, first of all, that's straight out of Romans 1, that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But I said, oh, you make a lousy God. I'm a lousy God. We're all lousy gods. I said, you know, I remember as an agnostic, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, when I finally realized that trying to be God was way above my pay grade. And it's what led me to see my desperate need for the true God. So there are opportunities out there. We just need to be strengthened uh, in in our confidence and competence that we can share the good news for such a time as this. That is so neat. And what a great insight for somebody to actually see being my own God isn't working out very well, because why would I be relying on pharmaceutical help if I were actually in charge of all this? I mean, it's just brilliant. It It really is. And again, that's where you see the gift of something this catastrophic. Yeah, that's right. I'm not in charge. I am the myth of self-sufficiency, etc. Exactly. Well, we're going to pause for a quick break. Becky Pippert with us. Her book is called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. And we'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. If you could ease the suffering of a persecuted Christian right now, would you? Hi, it's Janet Mefford, and I know you would. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those who are persecuted, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere suffers, we suffer together. These believers live where evangelism is criminalized, where churches are burned, and where Bibles are scarce. They need the hope found only in God's Word, and your gift today lets them know they're not forgotten. For only $5, a believer like Anna in Africa will receive a Bible, be discipled in her new faith, and trained to share Christ. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And through the end of April, there's a Bible for Bible match that will help us send God's word to as many persecuted Christians as possible. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, call now, 800-YES-WORD. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back. Well, it is wonderful to be with you and wonderful to have with us Becky Pippert. Boy, she is really one of my favorites. She's done such great work. Her new book is called Stay Salt. The World Has Changed. Our Message Must Not. And this is the heart of it, Becky. You were talking about the advantages that we have right now, this moment in history, when everything is so uncertain and people are scared and people are losing their jobs and the opportunities that this can open, that the Lord can open for us to share the gospel. The problem is you have Christians who are are either not confident in sharing the gospel, or like I mentioned before from that Barna study, you have Christians who actually think it's too judgmental. We really yeah, shouldn't, yeah, <laughs> we yeah. shouldn't, shouldn't yeah, try to yeah. convince people that their way is wrong and our way is right. What, what would you do with that sort of mentality where people are saying that? You know, one of the interesting things is that um, I, because I've done evangelism training literally around the world, and I don't know if you know this, Janet, but we've, we just spent the last seven years in the most secular place in the world. It, we ministered, my husband and I do this together, and we were in the U.K. and lived in the U.K., but ministered throughout Europe. Yes. And it, but, so what, whether millennials, in, in, no matter what the age... Here is the thing that is fascinating to me. The stumbling blocks that Christians have concerning evangelism are the same. Hmm. It isn't so dramatically different with millennials. And, 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 and by the way, one of the things I do show my millennial Christian friends is let's just take a look at how Jesus did it. Good. If you saw how Jesus shared his faith, it, it'll melt your heart. You won't worry so much about uh, being uh, judgmental or critical. Jesus spoke the truth, but he spoke it in love, etc. But let me just tell you, there's three things I always see as the biggest stumbling blocks. The first thing I hear, number one, I'm inadequate. And um, I just, I, I, I can't tell you how many times people have said, Becky, I really want to share my faith, but I just can't. I'm so inadequate. <laughs> and my response is, well, of course you're inadequate. We're all inadequate. Yeah. Isn't that freeing to know? Yes. Because the key is not our adequacy. It's that God is the great evangelist, and he uses us in our weakness. Yeah. Think about what Jesus said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Once we really have that, that you don't have to be able to answer every single question. You, you don't, you know, we want to demonstrate the love of Jesus and communicate the truth of Jesus. But we need to learn how to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And that's why the first section of Stay Salt 
my new book on evangelism, is the means. What has God given us so we don't have to freak out so much? <laughs> the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word. Second thing I always hear is, well, I just don't know enough. Uh, I just, and this is partly where the millennial fear comes, I think, um, because we're so gospel light, L-I-T-E. Um, but they'll say, I just don't know enough. I don't really know the beliefs of the gospel enough, and um, I, I don't know how to defend it. If they come back, I don't know what to do, blah, blah. Second section of the book addresses exactly that. If the first is the means, the second is the message. And it is, um, what is the message? What kind of pushback are we going to get from skeptics? How do we respond to that? And then something, Janet, I think we miss. If we're paying attention to people like Jesus did, and we love them, and we're listening, and we begin to understand their longings, help them see how their longings are met so beautifully in the gospel. Mm. So it's the means, the message. And then the third section of the book is on the model. And it's looking at Jesus, looking at the apostolic church, the early church. It's also looking at, you know, how Jesus did it, but it's also looking at all of our fears. How do we reach the spiritually closed? Here's a fear I hear all the time, all over the world, and that is, um, what if I offend them? <laughs> and I go, well, one of the things you can do is if you're really afraid you're going to offend and, and turn them off completely is saying, I am so excited about a Christian, about being a Christian. I don't like Bible bashers who push something down someone's throat. So if I'm coming on in a way that offends you, would you let me know? Mm, Now, what that does is that what non-Christians see is, oh, you're normal. (laughs) I didn't think you were normal. And then it gives us the opportunity, because we've built that bridge that we can say and share what the good news is. We just need to be careful um, that... um, that we're not buying the culture's message. Uh, it's so often, we're just so, we're, we're, we're terrified. And, and I'd say the greatest way of dealing with our fear is fearing the right thing. And that's what Paul said. Yes. Paul said, what is it that we fear? He says, fearing God, we persuade men. That doesn't give us a license to be obnoxious or to not listen. But what is it we fear the most? And we fear the Lord. We honor Him. We want to serve Him. Right. I think there are three things that I have learned over all these years of doing evangelism ministry. The first is this. Evangelism is so much easier than I ever dreamed. Hmm. Particularly if you are following Jesus' way, Jesus' example, the way He dealt with people, if we're leaning on the Holy Spirit. But... People are more open than we really realize, particularly if we're approaching people in the right way. But evangelism is easier than I ever dreamed. Secondly, evangelism is harder than I ever imagined. Hmm. Why? Because we have an enemy. And the enemy will harass us and intimidate us and try to scare us to death. Yes. So we need to recognize it, not be surprised when it happens, difficulties arise. But remember, Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. Amen. There is no power that is greater than the Lord Jesus. None. 
God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We we worship the triune God, and He's with us. He gives us His presence. The third thing, evangelism is easier than I imagined, easier than I dreamed. It's harder than I imagined. And the third thing is, and I know I'm circling back here, but God really does use us in our weakness. Mm -hmm. We need to celebrate our smallness and depend upon the power of the Spirit, of the Word, of the Gospel. And so we need to ask God, give me vibrant faith. Fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. Let me fall in love with Jesus all over again. And then get engaged. Pray and ask God right now, because we're in this remarkable time. Take prayer walks. Pray for your neighborhood. And then call your non-Christian friends and say, how are you doing? Uh, Tell me. Listen to what they're going through. Oh, my friends, just use this time. It's an opportunity like we just have never had before. Right. Oh, man, such good words, Becky. And I, you know, when you were talking about that, I, I was thinking about the the story that you tell in your book where as a young Christian, uh, you were teaching the Bible and you didn't even know what Acts was until, so, <laughs> until somebody sent you to it. It just cracked me up because I said, God can use anybody at any stage. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because what happened, this is why when people say, on the one hand, they go, all right, the times are different. And I really think they are. But on the other hand, I had been a Christian four months when I went to college my, my first year, my freshman year. And um, I, I decided that I felt convicted that I should share my faith. And so I started reading the Gospels, how did Jesus do it? And I thought, I, can, I, I really ask God, let me witness the way Jesus did. And I reached out to my friends. We did things together. We really, they really were friends. And one by one, on that floor, my dorm floor, uh, the, it was a women's dorm, they all asked me, okay, we're fascinated by what you believe, because if they knew I really cared for them, and that's so fundamental. <laughs> but they knew I, I, of course, I'd been praying, but they knew I cared for them. And then they said, why don't we do a Bible study? And I went, oh, oh, I couldn't possibly. I've only been a Christian four months. I don't know enough. <laughs> they asked me three times, and it was only the third time I finally agreed terrified. And then this is in the first chapter, but uh, we led this study. And I mean, it was, I was such a pathetic Bible study leader because I didn't, I don't think I'd ever been in a Bible study. I would have been radically converted. But, but anyway, so we do, we do this Bible study. And then on the, on the PA in the dorm, we heard, uh, will Becky Manley please come to the office of the resident advisor immediately? Well, the whole dorm heard it. And she told me I couldn't lead a Bible study. She said it was against the policy and that I would be kicked out of the university. And I turned to the Lord as she was saying this, and I said, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Oh, God, help me. And I felt this unbelievable peace. And then the words that came out of my mouth I knew were not mine. And I said, I respect you. I respect this university. I don't want to be kicked out, but I cannot but speak about what I know to be true. (laughs) 
And then, and she went, well, I'm really sorry that you're saying this because this is against policy and you're, you're going to be asked to leave. I go back to my room. I fell on my bed. I started sobbing because I really thought I was going to be kicked out. And this is when my girlfriend, Christian girlfriend, came in and said, you come home with me. My dad's an elder of the church. Told him the whole story. And he said, Becky, I don't think they have the power to kick you out. I think this is her unique problem, which, in fact, I think was exactly right. But I want you to read the book of Acts. Then I read it. And when I came to when Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin, and they were told they couldn't preach the gospel. And in essence, they said, how can I not speak about what I know to be true? And that's a thrilling thing. This has been going on forever. Mm. Oh, it has. It has. Well, you got to read the book. It's called Stay Salt. Becky Pippert, what an honor to have you here. Thank you. Oh, Janet. Thank you with all my heart. It's been a joy. Oh, thanks again for being with us, Becky. God bless you. And we'll be back right after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Fox News reports that the living conditions for Christians and other religious minorities around the world are worsening due to this coronavirus pandemic with at least 25 countries with positive cases numbering among the world's worst persecutors of Christians. This just highlights the critical importance of getting Bibles to these many believers who don't have the Word of God in their own language, which is exactly what Bible League is doing right now with your help. And we are very, very grateful that so many of you have stepped up to get Bibles into the hands of our brothers and sisters in places like Asia and the Middle East. Each Bible costs $5 to send, and for a $35 gift, you can send seven Bibles. A $100 gift will send 20 Bibles, and there is a Bible for Bible Match right now, so Friends of Bible League will match every gift made by Janet Mefford Today listeners. The number to call is 800 yes Word. That's 800 Yes Word, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. And we're going to talk some more about why this Bible campaign is so important now with Michael Woolworth, Senior Director of Broadcast Media at Bible League International. Welcome to you, Michael. It's great to have you with us again. Yeah, Janet, great to hear your voice. And uh, thank you to your listeners who have responded so generously. Before we part ways, I want to give you an update on where we are uh, in this campaign. And we're calling Stand With Them. Bibles for the Persecuted Church. Great. Yep, go ahead. Tell us what the update is. I'm dying on the vine here. <laughs> well, yeah, let me tell you at this point, you know, we, we, uh, we agreed before the, uh, the pandemic was, uh, was widespread. We said, hey, can we resolve the issue of having no Bible in the hands of persecuted believers, you know, for, for those that are in that situation, can we do it for at least 1,200 Christians? Can we do it for 2,000? Can we do it for 3,000? Janet, we've uh, exceeded that, uh, that low number of 1,200. I think we're currently about 1,800 Bibles. What's wow. that mean? 1,800 persecuted believers in specific villages, people that we know uh, by name at Bible League, will now have God's Word in their own language. Why? Because your listeners have certainly socially distanced themselves during this time, but they've not spiritually distanced themselves from 
Christians half a world away who are singled out, targeted, monitored. They've been rejected, threatened with death, tossed in jail simply because they believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Janet, the, the need is so great. Uh, we did stop and we sang the Hallelujah Chorus at Bible League, but we said, hey, let's keep moving ahead because the need is so great. So what, a, what an honor for me to hop on for just a few minutes today to keep this in front of your listeners and to tell an amazing story about a young lady I met in the Middle East. Oh, praise God. Well, we are, we, I always say I have the best listeners in Christian radio and I stand by <laughs> that. They, they are so generous and they love the Lord so much and they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And thank you to everybody who's been giving and you can continue to give at 800-YES-WORD. Let's talk about this a little bit, Michael, because you have said that persecution is the number one issue facing the global church right now. Can you speak to that issue a little bit so listeners will understand how persecution ties into the issue of needing to get Bibles into the hands of these folks? Well, many sources that we trust, one of those is Pew Research, keeps a finger on the pulse of Christian persecution. In fact, they have noted that uh, persecution is at an all-time high. There's no other religious group that is persecuted as much as Christians around the world. And so we, we take that uh, at, at face value. In fact, we know this at Bible League. It's what God has called us to for 82 years of ministry. And the persecuted church is one of the groups that we focus on. In fact, Janet, if you toss the words... Christian persecution in the news into a search engine. Even today, here's what you'll find in recent weeks and months. An evangelical church in China demolished without advance notice and no reason given. Second one, Mary Mohammadi, a Christian activist in Iran, recently released from jail after being tortured and beaten simply because she identifies now as a Christian. And then uh, 60 uh, Christians in Nigeria, killed by the notorious uh, Fulani herdsmen. You've heard of this group before. You know, you'd think that uh, persecution would would stop with the the, the pandemic. It certainly hasn't. It's been here before that. Sadly, it'll be here uh, afterwards. So arguably, we are tackling what is the number one issue facing the global church today. And Janet, that's why uh, this campaign is so important. How do you endure? How do you persevere under extreme conditions like what we're talking about uh, in uh, our times together? Well, it's having a Bible, isn't it, to be able to open it and to read for yourself the promises of Jesus. When he says, hey, you will have trials, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And even at the Great Commission, he says, look, I'm with you always. And that means everything. I've met so many of these Christians who are persecuted. And Janet, they didn't never ask me to pray for an end to the persecution. It's always to be able to endure and persevere. And they always say, Michael, we need Bibles. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Well, tell us a little bit. You had alluded to a story that you wanted to share about a young girl in Egypt and what she's been going through for the sake of the gospel. Can you share that story with the listeners? Yeah, I was in the Middle East uh, last year, Janet. You know, I knew some of the dynamics traveling to that part of the world, you know, in a place like Egypt. If you count 10 people around you, on average, about nine and a half uh, follow Islam. They split that in about thirds. A third are high identity, high practice. So in that group can be radicalized Muslims. Then you've got modern, you've got nominal. If you ask a nominal uh, Muslim, why are you a Muslim? They'd say, well, my grandparents were Muslims. You know, as far as I can look from the east to the west, north to south in my family tree, everybody's been Muslims. 
But let me tell you about a young lady that I met by the name of Aria, 19 years of age, lives outside of Cairo, Egypt. I won't identify the town, but works on a pomegranate and date farm. Her father is a mullah. What's that mean? Very high standing in his community. He interprets Islamic law. Has Again, a very high standing there. Uh, the family, um, long line of, of, of being uh, Muslim. Um, here was her story. Um, she was invited uh, by a... Uh, actually a Christian friend, to a Bible study, all right? And at 19 years of age, because Islam really brought her no peace, she went. She accepted the invitation to come to a Project Philip Bible study from uh, Bible League International. What is that? Christianity 101, coupled with the Gospel, John. It takes about 8 to 12 weeks to go through that. Janet, about several, about 4 or 5 weeks into that, she realized that she was seeking Allah, but who did she find? Jesus. She took her little Bible study booklet home. It was in Arabic, hid it uh, in her bedroom. She still lived at home with her parents, devout Muslims. And I can tell you, her mother rummaged in the room. She found that Bible study material, gave it to the father, who was very, very upset about her conversion to Christianity, beat her, but it didn't stop there, Janet. He called the local authorities, uh, reported her as an infidel. They took her away. They beat her. They violated her. They tortured her to the tune of actually removing fingernails from either hand. Mm -hmm. They did the same thing to the Christian friend, and they kept him for several weeks, no food, no water, no outside communication, I should say very little water, finally let them go, told him to never speak of Jesus again. But Janet, I like to say that these two did not grow bitter. They grew bold in their faith and began to share Jesus with others. And I can tell you there are about 150 new believers over the last few months who have come to faith because they've seen in these two a willingness to suffer for the gospel. And Janet, when I, when I asked young Aria, 19 years of age, I have a daughter that's almost at that age, I said, how can we pray for you? And Janet, again, as I said earlier, she did not say, go on the radio and ask uh, American uh, church, uh, American Christians to pray for an indoor suffering. She knows God's working through it. She said, we need to be able to endure and persevere. I thought, at 19 years of age, what an amazing young lady. And I was able to say, knowing that I'm bringing the message here today, I said, Aria, those Bibles you're praying for, they're coming. Yeah. They're coming. Yeah. What does it mean, generally speaking, when you hear or see some of these persecuted believers finally getting that Bible in their hands, Michael? Well, here's the interesting component about this story, Janet. The Christian friend, 21 years of age, who introduced her to Jesus Christ, invited her to their Bible study, had received a Bible in a previous Bible League campaign. So she took that Bible, and she used it to make much of God, and she's pointing people to Him, even in a very, very difficult part of the world. It, hey, listen, it infused my soul with grace. And my prayer when I come on with wonderful listeners like yours, Janet, is that this message will not fall on deaf ears, uh, but that it will be uh, received by believing hearts who believe that the gospel's going forth. And so in the midst of a pandemic, I know our focus is on uh, a lot of the illness and being sort of clamped down in our homes, but I'm so grateful you've got a listening family there that really gets this, and they've been so generous, so responsive to what we've been able to share about the persecuted church. You know, Paul says, if one part of the body suffers, we suffer together, and that's what your listeners are doing. Well, we love it. Michael Woolworth, thanks for being with us. And you can call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. A $35 gift will provide seven Bibles for persecuted Christians through Bible League. We appreciate all the gifts. 800-YES-WORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMuffer.com. We'll be right back.
Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The global COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact on the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. Sheltering in orders across the country are spiking the number of unplanned pregnancies, and the Preborn call center is inundated with girls calling us. Contrary to government mandates to stop elective surgeries, Planned Parenthood remains open, consuming scarce medical supplies, all the while aborting babies. Our clinics are offering free, Christ-centered alternatives to these women in this time of crisis. But our clinics need your help now more than ever. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and a direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in this time of need? Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound. $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And hope you had a wonderful Easter. It was a little weird, wasn't it? For most of us, anyway. Well, no, I would say for all of us, it probably was weird. Even for those few Christians who were able to gather at their physical churches. We're going to get into that in a minute. But here we are. And I'll tell you what, there are some weird things going on out there. Very, very weird. Liberty Council, for example, cited some of these church situations. In Washington State, a pastor and his technical staff of well under the 10-person limit were ordered not to even go to their sanctuary to record online services or they would be arrested and fined. Really, is that constitutional? In Greenville, Mississippi, a pastor, his wife, and each of the dozen or so congregants sitting in their cars in the church parking lot, listening to the sermon being read inside, were ticketed and fined $500 each for participating in a mass gathering, even though each participant was safely in his own vehicle and each car was parked yards apart. And there are a number of situations where these sorts of things occurred. Listen, I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks. I am all for voluntary compliance with the directives to try to socially distance and to try to minimize the spread of COVID-19. As Christians, we don't want people to get sick and we don't want people to die because we were careless and we were asserting our rights, you know, at a time of a pandemic. I have been fine with being just normal about it and saying, fine, on a temporary basis, we will voluntarily comply with that. I think that's wise. However, when you have the government begin to act like a bunch of jackbooted thugs, then you have to change a little bit and you need to fight back. And I think it's important to fight back because that's when the time has come to say the state does not have a right just because it wants to, to shut down the church. 
because that is one scary precedent. And I'm telling you, things are getting very weird out there. Now, let me bring you up to speed on a couple of instances where, in fact, Christians prevailed. Uh, You might have remembered that Mayor Greg Fisher of Louisville, Kentucky, a Democrat, had said on Friday that you have to follow this executive order that was issued by Governor Andy Bashir prohibiting gatherings of 10 or more people during the pandemic. But you can't prohibit gatherings completely. I, I mean, it, you can't do that to churches. So he said, we're asking people not to do that, to please reconsider, et cetera, et cetera. And if there are gatherings on Easter Sunday, the police will be there handing out information detailing the health risks involved. And I've asked them to record license plates of all vehicles in attendance. And we'll share that information with our public health department so they can follow up with the individuals that are out in church and gathering in groups. Yeah, that's not at all creepy. Fisher also held firm in his stance against drive-in church services, saying that even those gatherings could lead to incidental contacts between people and community spread of the virus. Really? Is that why you also shut down Starbucks and McDonald's? Because people could inadvertently, from their cars, spread deadly viruses to one another? See, this is when it begins to get important for Christians to say, "Uh uh-uh, nope. No bridge too far. And then happily, there was a temporary restraining order uh, that was given against this mayor, Greg Fisher, from blocking this one church on fire church from holding drive in services on Easter. I want to go back and play for you a little bit of the report from Saturday. This is cut two. Judge Justin Walker granted a temporary restraining order allowing On Fire Christian Church to continue with its drive-in services tomorrow. Walker called the mayor's call for churches to not allow drive-in services, quote, stunning and unconstitutional. Mayor Greg Fisher says that there was never a ban on drive-in services and that he wants to keep residents safe. The church sued Fisher and the city yesterday, saying the mayor's decision violated their constitutional rights and religious liberty. I regret that the judge did not allow us to just present evidence that would have demonstrated there has been no legal enforcement mechanism communicated. Uh, We attempted twice to contact the court so that we could have presented the case and that would have obviated the need for this restraining order. The law firm representing the church said that they've been hosting drive-in church services for several weeks and that they are consistent with CDC guidelines. WHAS 11 reached out to the church's legal counsel with First Liberty Institute, who sent us a statement saying in part, the mayor, like most government officials, is doing the best he can in a tough situation. But government officials need to understand the Constitution provides a limit to their power. And when religious activities comply with the CDC's guidelines, the government cannot prohibit them. Correct. That's the important distinction that people need to remember. Your power does not become absolute just because we have a virus going around. This was interesting. The attorney general of Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, had stood up for these churches. He said he had no problem with drive-in services as long as participants adhere to the CDC guidelines on social distancing. And in response to that, the mayor of Louisville said, you might have a legal right to do something, but that doesn't make it the right thing to do. Okay, but your job is the law, sir. It's not to say, I don't think it's right, and I'm just going to put a stop to it. These people are out of control. And when you have out of control people in the government, it requires Christians to no longer happily and voluntarily go along with what you're doing. If you guys didn't overreach so much, then churches wouldn't have to fight back. And here's an important point that I think really is significant for people to consider. I really do. 
Uh, Matt Staver at Liberty Council had pointed out that this isn't an all or nothing proposition because for a lot of churches, you can do online church, but for some churches, going totally online hurts people who need the various ministries of the church. For example, you have churches that deal with people who are on drugs or people who need food and they need to be there physically for them. So that is a valid point to make. And I just, it's unfortunate that this went the way it did. Now, over at Maryville Baptist Church in Hillview, Kentucky, you might have heard that they were met with nails in the road as they defied the coronavirus lockdown. Yep, they had a packed Easter Sunday service despite a heavy police presence and the nails blocking the parking lots. That was according to the New York Post. WAVE had this report. This is cut one. For this one church to do this, it's it's literally put in danger the residents of Bullock County by the spread of COVID-19. On Tuesday, Jack Roberts, Maryville founder and pastor for 52 years, refused to sign when the state health department ordered the church to cease operations. Wednesday night, the church defied the order by again opening its doors. Roberts talked about how some attendees were anticipating arrests. They come take me out, somebody else get up and start preaching. We'll just have preaching service. I well, sure I'm glad it didn't come to that, aren't you? In a brief phone conversation, Roberts tells me that he's keeping his church open for those members who do not want to worship remotely and that he views the state order as a violation of the First Amendment. The church is now represented by the Liberty Council and is discussing plans to sue Governor Bashir. All right. So it continues on. You have these legal battles. Here's another point. I think what's happened is you have an intersection now where you have the First Amendment and religious liberty being paramount to all Christians as it should be. And it's tempered with this idea that we do want to obey the government and we do want to be reasonable. There are some people out there who are yelling that if you're not going to your physical church right now, you're breaking the Sabbath. I reject that utterly because if that were the case, how could any strong Christian in Iran, and there are many of them, be accused of not obeying the Sabbath when they don't have churches at all. So, you know, this kind of stuff, there are people on opposite ends of the spectrum who are just unreasonable. But what also is playing into it, I believe, is the fact that people are beginning to question. These models which were put forward as what we need to follow turned out to be wrong. They way overestimated how many deaths would be happening by this point. And then Dr. Fauci keeps saying different things and contradictory things. And people are beginning to get skeptical and people are getting nervous, frankly. And people are questioning, if I live in a part of the country where there are hardly any COVID cases and hardly any deaths, why do we have to be locked down 24-7 like they are in New York? And we're told, oh, because at any minute it could just explode in your town. But nobody knows that for sure. And then you look at the rates of people who have contracted COVID-19 and how many of those people recover, and it's the overwhelming majority. And then people start doing comparisons between the COVID-19 deaths and the deaths from seasonal flu. And there's no comparison. There was way more in terms of the number of deaths from seasonal flu over the last year than there have been from COVID-19. Oh, well, that's because of the social distancing. But you recognize the problem. People are beginning to ask questions. And when people begin to ask questions, sometimes you have jackbooted thugs who say, we're going to get those people online. And then the problems begin. And you would hope and pray that people could just sit down and be reasonable and talk to one another But, you know, people are not one size fits all and not everybody reacts the same way to different circumstances. And so 
here we are. And of course, you heard what happened. The Kansas governor won that court battle over ordering the church gatherings to be limited to 10 people after the legislature had overturned it. So you have a lot of legal battles ahead over this. Just pray that this whole pandemic will end. Please keep asking the Lord to shut down the pandemic, please, by your mercy, Lord, and let us return to our normal lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time. Thank you.